Welcome to Nothing of Champagne, a podcast that refuses to commit to what will be in our future manifesto. My name is Corey Hazelhurst, and my partner in propaganda is Steve Haynes. Hi, Corey. This is the final of our three episodes, just looking back at conference season. This particular episode is about the policies that the next election will be fought over. What did the parties talk about at their conferences? And more importantly, what did they not talk about? news at Conservative Party conference and it was something which the government did really well to keep under wraps didn't they uh, was the announcement of HS2 being cancelled that was the big thing yeah it was the big thing that they'd been working on for so so long a decision had clearly been in the works uh, for, for months maybe even a year or so perhaps um, oh no quite quite the opposite they'd made the decision on the fly to chase headlines Oh, I don't know. So it, it's the way that all week, partly is the fact that it was in Manchester and you're announcing a cancellation of a train line to Manchester in Manchester, which just seems like bad optics. Yeah. But even on the substance of the policy, you're, you spent the whole, and the media management of it, you spent all week refusing to say that a decision had been taken, almost like you were sort of like Caesar before a gladiator trying to work out if you're going to give a thumbs up or a thumbs down. And then when the announcement comes out in the speech, you then tweet out an announcement from Richard Sunak's Twitter account, which had obviously been recorded at Downing Street the week before. <laughs> so it had obviously been in the works. Yeah, but there's, there's, there's a properly thought out policy. Um, and then there's back to the fag packet, that can be weeks in the making, not necessarily days in the making. It was still a decision that was basically made because Rishi Sunak just went, oh, this is costing too much money uh, and we need to have something big to, as you say, as we discussed previously, to show we've changed uh, coming out of his speech. And this was a thing which kind of worked for, for appeasing a certain element of the Tory party. And I suppose works because he can try and pick a fight with his predecessors, as we've sort of said Dominic Cummings wanted him to do, even though that doesn't really work. Yeah. Um, but, and also, I suppose, we, we've also talked about the Tory party being sort of full of um, that sort of right-wing conspiracy mindset. And a big part of that is the war on cars, which apparently is a thing. Um, which is weird when you live in Birmingham, which is a city where it's not so much a war on cars, it's more a war on pedestrians by cars, because just off this... We're, we're in the bunker we are in in the moment, uh, we are just off the Pershaw Road, where I think there's been about six fatal crashes in about two months. And on a slightly less like horrific end of things, down by me, I have my my road is used as a as a racetrack by boy racers um, consistently because it's a nice straight line. Um, so yeah, there is all kinds of ridiculousness that that happens in terms of uh, in terms of cars uh, in in Birmingham. Some a lot more serious than others, but all very much coming from the same notion of we let them get away with it. <laughs> 
Yes, and and, and so and and as you've said, you have so you you end up with more money for potholes. It's like I forget how much money has been taken away from Birmingham's budget on its roads. It's around six hundred million pounds, I think. And even more is going to be taken. Apparently, even more is going to be taken. Um, but and then and as you say, you also had these transport projects. That it turns out these transport projects aren't going to be happening anyway, or have already happened. Yeah. So. And then what's even more weird is <clears throat> apparently the number 10 team were unhappy that the Tories hadn't had a post-conference bounce. Well, whose fault is that? But it's also, it, partly it's no, that no, no one sane pays attention to party conferences. That's true. <laughs> I realise we've just done three episodes looking at the damn things, but that kind of yeah, proves... never claimed to be sane. Proves the I'm, point. I'm pretty sure on all of our previous things we said that we were uh, some of the most insane insane people around because we understand the Labour Party. So no, I, I, don't, I never claim to understand the Labour Party, Steve. <laughs> um, um, but it's but it's also how can you mismanage something? It, it comes back to what we talked about in the last episode about the Tory Party's lack of perception of itself. If you can't take a step back and look at that announcement look at how you made it look at where it was made look at the back of the fag packet nature it was put together and you don't understand why it didn't land i'm not really sure i can help you yeah pretty much um the other two announcements that were made were a reform of t levels which would be lovely i suppose if it wasn't more tinkering with an education system when really teachers were quite like to not have schools that were collapsing. Um, or, you know, you could do something about workload that, or so you could do something about workload and pay that means that we are consistently not hitting our teacher recruitment levels. Or you could, for instance, spend uh, money on actually recruiting uh, or paying uh, doctors um, so that they could, have, uh, they could have pay increases rather than spending even more money on uh, you know, uh, locum doctors to fill in the gaps. It's all well and good, Steve. That won't help the nation's schools or indeed its post-16 qualifications. Um, but you do have a balanced smoking, I think, for anyone born after 92... I forget what the year is, but essentially yeah, it's, it's, a complete it's, yeah, phase it's, ban. Yeah, it's the thing where basically... Uh, there is going to be a, a generation that will be the last one that is allowed to buy cigarettes, and then it will be just gone from then. Mm. Which is, I don't know, has anybody actually introduced that? I feel like that's something I've New heard. Zealand. So it's a New yeah. Zealand one, is it? Yeah, it's a New Zealand Labour. You sent to Arden, do you remember? You sent oh, to Arden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, It'd be interesting to see how that one actually kind of like has, has played out in New Zealand, because I just feel like that's one of the ones where it just ends up with a load of like underground and. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, illegal tobacco and, and then things like that. And you just end, it ends up just being another drug. But I feel like fewer people are smoking anyway. Yeah. Like young people, uh, not us, obviously, certainly not me, but you know, young, young people don't really smoke or drink anymore. They all sort of eat health food shots and avocados. No, they, they do vape, though. That's true. What it feels more like to me is... You know the episode of The Thick of It where the minister, I think it's, it's Hugh Abbott, I think, at the time, and he's going on, he's going to make an announcement and he's called by Malcolm Tucker to say, you can't make that. Where's the effect of, sorry, chap, you can't make this announcement. You're just going to have to say something, but it can't really cost any money. 
and uh, Toby has that he he sort of says I have a whole ring binder of policies which are sort of vaguely media friendly but don't cost anything like Asbos for pets or something. And I feel like this is what they are. It's essentially, as you say, Richard Sunak is a fiscal conservative. He's decided that if he cancels HS2, it gives him money that he can put into filling potholes and looking like he can do stuff. And so you're also then finding policies that don't cost any money. Uh, of course, the problem is that... I mean, arguably, it does cost money, not necessarily in the short term, but over the long term, you, you actually there, there's tax that comes from from uh, from cigarettes and, and things like that. So that, that actually, over time, does actually create a, uh, a spreadsheet issue that will need to be addressed via cuts or funding from elsewhere. Is it a net plus? I forget. Uh, it depends on how you're going to look at it from the perspective of um, medical treatment costs and things like that. Like mm. it, It's possible if you do the full analysis, it does work out as you know a net, a net gain in terms of the, uh, the uh, balance in the budget. But like... Who knows? It's the sort of thing you genuinely would need to do huge, huge amounts of work and uh, and, and look at actu act is it actuarial tables, actuarial actuary work. Mm. You know. Well, I'm sure the government has, has done that. Oh, absolutely. Um, so it's not. Yeah. Well, apart from that, not horrifically clear what the Tories are going to launch their their manifesto on. Obviously, we've talked about the five pledges, which are sort of. Some of them are going to be achieved and some of them probably aren't. And we can talk about that at the end of the year. But um, it was just all a bit of a chaotic conference, really. And again, it came out of a summer where the government tried to do a bit of a relaunch, sort of had pledges on NHS and trying to make a bit of a splash on and say cancer care. But actually, that's kind of where the Lib Dems have gone. Yep. So Dave, in his conference speech... He was very much trying to make the party of the NHS, so talking about the fact that William Beveridge was a liberal and his role in the Beveridge report. William Bever literally wrote the, the book, I suppose. Um, and so two, I think, interesting things from the Dem conference. I think NHS is an interesting one because, again, that really goes, it, it makes sense given uh, well, it, it fits with the Davies' personal history. That was very much a story he wanted to tell, and that's, I think, interesting. Uh it also goes well with the blue wall and again where you have uh the tories struggling to work out what they're going to say to those blue wall voters other than we're really sorry that you now pay another grand a month in your mortgage makes sense i think to be on there i think it was an interesting eternal row over housing yeah with, with tim Far i've forgotten that tim farron existed steve shamefully <laughs> the happy pixie yeah uh, i mean housing is always a controversial uh topic uh in, in in the lib dems because the party is basically split down the middle actually i don't necessarily think it's fair to say down the middle but there's a very vocal kind of anti what well, I, I would say is actually an anti-housing section of the party what do they think people should live in if they shouldn't live in houses well they, 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 they think people should live in houses they no, just think you should, shouldn't live in houses near where they live uh, um, they are very much nimbies. Um and uh, fundamentally, the the big issue, issue is that the nimbies are everywhere. Um, oh, in my backyard, they're not. That would be irony. Um, but yeah, so you have a, a a section of the Liberal Democrats which are very vocal. I'm not 
necessarily sure how many of them there actually are, but they are loud, um, if nothing else. Um, well, I suppose big enough to vote down the leadership motion. Yeah, big enough. Having a Labour conference. <laughs> Learn that lesson. Um, yeah, it is... It, it, I mean, speaking from a personal thing, this is one of the things that inevitably led me to, like, leaving the Lib Dems. Do you um, want the leadership motion to be adopted without question? No, it's just the fact that, I, I, like, housing is such a serious, serious issue anywhere you cut it, and yet the, the Liberal Democrats as a as a party are nowhere near able to grasp it because of that NIMBY attitude. Is, it, is that just the, the commitment to localism writ yeah. large? Right? Yeah, it, it, it pretty much is, 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 is that. And because, inevitably, locals tend not to want things being built, they just lean into it. Well, and from what I understand, some of the housing regulations are so lax that you, if you leaned into a house, it probably would fall over. Yeah. So maybe more of that. You can have that idea for free. And I think, um, and again, it's, it's, a, it's a sort of interesting tension between your membership base and then the voters you need to run, up, to, to, to run over. <laughs> Talking about Birmingham again. To win over. Um and I, I think you can sort of see that in the the fact that obviously Edgar David isn't talking about Brexit very much and a lot of people will rejoin the Lib Dems because of the anti-Brexit credentials. Um, however, I think the party's scarred enough from 2019 to know that maybe talking about stopping Brexit and revoking isn't necessarily the big vote winner you thought it was. It's not the realignment issue. Yeah. Um, uh, Labour also had a housing policy which is to build a million and a half homes over the next parliament and to build new towns as well. So, I, again, flesh on bones. So, Labour's in a, and we've sort of talked around this a lot on the podcast, but it's a really difficult position, I think, for Labour sort of tactically in that you, Labour members like policy and want big lists of policy and stuff that's going to happen. The problem is that if you were now, if, if any policy was announced at the moment, if it was any good, the Tories would nick it, like they have with the NHS training pledge that West Treating was announcing. Um, if it doesn't land, then it just becomes a massive stick to beat the beat you with. Uh, and if you don't announce anything, then actually that gives a very small target for the Tories to hit, and then you end up with ridiculous, oh, well, Keir Starmer's going to tax meat arguments from the Tories. Um, and so I suppose the, the, we talked in our first episode about change and Keir Starmer is very much setting the mood music for change, not so much about the detailed policy front, but again, it, it's really hard to have that again 15 months out from the election. Yeah, I, I think the cool thing is as long as there is something actually there underneath the surface that is ready ready and waiting to go when when that election does happen because it could be as it could be early next year it, it could be late next year it could be in 2025 it's gonna be january 2025 steve you can have that opinion for free oh but we were going to talk about that on the patreon so you've well, just given it away you will have to listen to my incredibly well thought out theory about why that is <laughs> on the patreon page um but yeah the I've lost my train of thought now. <laughs> what was uh, I talking about? You were talking about Keir Starmer, you were talking about a next election, might be next year. Uh, oh yeah, so as long as you've got that um, manifesto and policy ready to go and it's actually got some meat to it that is, um, you know, substantive, um, like, it, 
it ends up being fine. Because um, there have been policy announcements which haven't been rolled back, um, such as... He's sitting, Steve. Unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, like the elected House of Lords, that does annoy me as, you know... Yeah. Just to, I haven't talked about the British Constitution yet. Actually, 50 minutes out of every episode, I might have mentioned it. <laughs> um, but yeah, so there's, there's things like that, but there's also um, been... No, some of it was, I think, legit and, and sensible rollbacks. So, like, they... Um, what was it? I think it was on the... What was it? Stripping uh, private schools of their charitable status, I think it was, was, was one which was has been rolled back. But instead, it's now just going to be a finance issue of now they're going to charge VAT. Now they have to charge VAT, um, or, or, or they're no longer VAT exempt. And as a result of that, it becomes something you can just do as part of a, a line item on a finance bill rather than it having to be a big debate. So there's, there's things like that which actually do make sense. can't believe that they're punishing hard-working families like this. I know, when they're spending 20 grand a year on, on fees already. That's, um, so my quick, final, quick thing on housing, and then... I'll, I'll give you a theory. Okay. So, when Kistama announced Labour's five missions, I won't ask you to name them. We did that on the Patreon. Um, but there was talk about why was housing not one of those missions when housing is such a big issue, and especially as part of Labour's voting coalition. Because, um, uh, obviously, renters tend to vote Labour and homeowners tend to vote Conservative. And I think what's really interesting is that you look at the details of those missions. So you look at, say, economic security, and the argument that's made is that it's uh, you, for, uh, say, educational performance, for kids to perform better at school, it's good for them to have security at home. That means having a secure, uh, a secure house yeah. and somewhere they can... Um, that is heated and is there and is secure. So it's it, it's a kind of really interesting, potentially a really interesting idea of joined up government. Um, but uh, And that, I think, is uh, is hopeful. I think the other thing is that Sue Gray's appointment as Chief of Staff, now she's finally, uh, obviously finally come in after taking a, an extended period of leave and uh, obviously single-handedly removing Boris Johnson from office. Obviously, I think yeah. we all remember that don't mean the, the, the sue gray review which uh is the only one of the few ways that you can get rid of a prime minister without a vote of confidence is to get sue gray to write a report about it <laughs> and i think uh, the, the what you are told by people who tell journalists these things is that sue gray is doing a very good job of preparing labor for government my theory is that Given the influence that the Tony Blair, Gordon Brown, New Labour playbook has on Starmer and his team, that you won't, not only will you just have five pledges that will hammer, but obviously the independence of the Bank of England was a big pledge that was kept secret, I think, basically from everyone apart from Gordon Brown and Ed Balls before, um, just after the election. So, what I imagine is and that. A lot of these cards will be played very close to people's chests, but there will be something like that yeah. after the election. Also, given Keir Starmer's incredible ability to shift position seamlessly from sort of being... Uh, you, you sort of saw this show slowly shifting position over Brexit. You've sort of seen it overplay that. It, it's very much a, OK, what position do I have to be in to get my next goal? And I think when Starmer's in them, if... 
Starman gets to number 10. I can see there being a flagship policy like that. That's my theory. Yeah, and uh, I think there's a potential for maybe a couple of those. There will be something, I, I imagine, in the actual manifesto, which will be a, a big, not necessarily headline grabber, but some but some red meat, I guess, for for the for the Labour Party to actually get its teeth into. Um, that might, my guess is it'll probably be making the uh, energy uh, company um, that the policy that that was God that was ages ago that was announced, wasn't it? Well, yeah, well, it, it, I think that was the big. It was last, last year's year? conference. Yeah. Last year's conference. Yeah, so, that, so that is still very much on the books. So my my guess is that will be like a centerpiece in some capacity. And again, that sort of fits the security narrative. Energy, cost of living, all of these different things. So yeah, one one hundred percent. I think you'll have a couple of big things like that, which will be the the main focus, and then maybe one or two surprises. I don't think there'll be anything that will be quite as totemic as the um, Bank of England independence, um, just because I don't think there are very few policies that could be as wide-ranging as... Uh, maybe it would be the opposite. Maybe it would be Rachel Reeves is going to bring the Bank of England back under her control. That would be a terrible idea. I don't know. Well... Okay, that's a different podcast. Yeah, that is very much a different podcast. The... It's almost like part of the problem we've had over the past 20 years is that we've taken the decisions away from elected politicians and given them to unelected people and the politicians have gone, turned around and gone, oh, well, there's nothing we can do. And so the voters say, well, in that case, we'll have Brexit. Is that okay? Um, and that's how Ed Balls calls Brexit. Um, moving swiftly on, um, the, the, the other plans sort of announced out of Labour's conference, I suppose, again, it's that, that because... I get the impression if you say anything that needs to cost money, then Rachel Reeves comes around and has very stern words with you. Um, in terms of the economic stuff, it's about pro provo providing business investment. And this, I think, is the other, the sort of the argument that is made um, by Starmer. It's not, okay, it's not like nationalise them all socialism. What it is, it's quite a German-style collaboration with business unions working together. And that is potentially actually quite revolutionary compared to what we've had over the past 30 or 40 years. Um, but again, isn't probably sexy enough to go into too many columns. Yeah. Um, and then you have, we, we had maths, training more maths teachers and using real life examples in maths teaching, which I thought was happening already. But um, obviously I never, yeah, I, I, we only taught theoretical maths when I was teaching it through. We didn't teach them using money or anything. Um, and um, my favourite uh, policy book, which is ad telling teachers to do more, adding more stuff to the national curriculum, toothbrushing. Yeah, it, uh, this is always one of the things. That, yeah, this is always one of the things that always kind of make, makes my eye twitch whenever anything surrounding like uh, national curriculum stuff comes about um, in terms of policy discussions. Because you, there's always always a thing which oh, we'll just add this into the national curriculum, like. I remember when I was a Lib Dem and I went to my first Lib Dem conference, there was a, a discussion on like teaching um, cooking and healthy eating and all of these different uh, d nutrition and, and things like that as adding it to the curriculum. And I just uh, I just remember listening to the debate and kind of going, when is this meant to happen? Where is this meant to happen? How can it actually be made realistic? And that's one of those things where every time you say anything about 
changing the curriculum, you should have to be able to answer that question with a 20-page essay because that's about the only time you'll actually have put enough thought into it to actually make it happen. What are you going to take out? The curriculum. As well. To put it into the curriculum. Yeah, because there's only so many hours in the day. And how are you... All these things will happen at half past two on a Thursday afternoon. Yeah. And the teacher will look at the lesson plan. Okay, maybe this is just me. I'm t- it's very telling why I'm no longer teaching, but we'll look at the lesson plan 10 minutes before the lesson. I've got an idea. I'll, I'll put a video on to, to demonstrate instead. Um, so that plan, I suppose, if we're going, just to be charitable for a second, yeah. the plan is illustrative of the fact that it's about dental plans yeah. and that was the health focus. And that is useful because no one can get an NHS dentist. We've never ended on dent. I don't think we've actually talked about dentistry in the whole seven have. years of the podcast. Oh, that's something. We've got a subject to get our teeth into, maybe. Hey. James Cram designed our logo. You can follow him on Twitter at James Cram. Dave Depper composed our theme tune, Plucky Good Times. I'm at Paperback Rioter. I'm at Acoustic Radical. Happy plotting.